some reading together and go back over some passages that uh, we had discussed before we broke last time around. With that in mind, let's go ahead and look to the Lord with a word of prayer and we'll get started. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you and praise you for your presence this morning. We thank you for being the author of all discussion that takes place as well, too. Lord, you're the one who teaches. You're the one who gives instruction. You're the one who saves people. We thank you that you do all these things and more in giving us companionship, in giving us the ability to fellowship with others, and we thank you for all of those things. We thank you again for also good health and protection as well, too. We pray now, Lord, and we ask that you bless us all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, we're going to pick up, and your homework assignment, if you had forgotten, or maybe you did forget, I don't know if you did or not, uh, one of the things that I try to do is not give you a lot of homework because uh, the reality is, is that uh, you're not in an actual accredited class here. You're just in a regular Sunday school class. But one of the things that we do try to do is encourage you to do some reading. And the passage I wanted you to do some research on and look, take a look at was in Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read the passages, verses 19 through 39. That's going to take us into the rest of our lesson today. And we understand that the conversation has been about the importance of church fellowship and going to a church and fellowshipping. And the, the primary purpose of fellowship is to encourage one another, build up one another in Jesus Christ. So we need to remember that that's why we're doing what we do. We are not islands. We all need to have the ability to speak to other people. We also need to understand, too, that everybody who goes to church is not necessarily experienced in being believers in Jesus Christ. So therefore, we need people in church who have the ability to disciple others as well, too, and help them along to learn more. That's why church is important. We don't say that church is important over anything else. We only say that church is important for the sake of us getting together, as we're doing right now, by the way, getting together as a group, getting together and fellowshipping together, learning together, studying together, and encouraging one another. You just don't know how someone is doing or how someone is feeling week after week. You don't make any assumptions that everybody who's coming into the church doors is having a great time. And we need to make sure that we understand that from a, a point of being humble and being available, that we can minister to others who are in real need of help. Amen? A very, very important function of church. We're all human beings. We all have moments where we're doing pretty well, and we have moments where we're scuffling. And understand something. It may be the highlight of a week for one of a, a believer to come to church and fellowship with other people. It may be the highlight especially when things have been not going so well for that week. So please keep that in mind. Now, let's take a look at the passage. We want to make sure that not neglecting to meet, we're in the middle of the handout on page three, not neglecting to meet together is not done for the sake of just having church meetings or events, which we pretty much just covered in the introduction here. But in the context of the passage, 
It is more about not settling into a place where you shelter yourself within the confines of the world. We're not meeting in church, by the way, to get away from the world. If anything, we're meeting in church to prepare ourselves to be able to get out into the world. We need like a, you know, like Tesla has, everybody knows what a Tesla is, right? The cars, the electric cars. Tesla has electric cars. Well, Tesla cars don't run on gasoline. They run on electricity. In order for a Tesla car to operate and function, it has to go to a Tesla charging station. And there are a lot of charging stations that they can go to. There's one up in Macedonia over by where I live where you can see two or three Teslas parked at one time charging their cars. Because in order for them to operate, they have to be charged up. Well, guess what? We literally need to make sure that we are charged up when we come and fellowship in church. We're getting our batteries recharged all the time, especially when it comes to this fellowship thing. Now, can Christ, can the Holy Spirit do this on his own with you individually? Of course he can. But why do you think he's encouraging us to get together? Because there are going to be some people who need to be encouraged. There are going to be some people who need to have that fellowship time. There are going to be some people who need to get together with you just to see other people go through stuff just like they do. And that's the reality of it. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're here. That's why we're here in this place. Let's take a look at Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 39. You're going to see that this whole thing about church is not just about getting together and having meetings or events. It's all about developing a heart for God and living in anticipation of his imminent return. Living to have a heart for God. Remember what we said earlier? Not everyone that goes to church truly is still, they're still learning about this thing about having a heart for God. They're learning about what it is to have a heart for God. Don't assume anything. Be prayerful, be humble that God is working with you personally. But when it comes time and when someone's ready to talk to you, you need to be ready to disciple, to encourage, to not blow them off, but be ready to pray for them at a moment's notice. If, they, if someone says they need prayer, I learned something very important. When someone says they need prayer, stop and pray right then. Stop and pray right then. What are you doing by doing that? First of all, you're showing yourself, you're showing the other person that they're important enough for you to stop what you're doing right then and there and praying for that person. Not just making a casual, okay, yeah, I'll get to it later. That's a huge difference. That's a huge difference. That person is important. You don't know how you've dealt with people, maybe through the course of your life, where if someone was so despondent, your encouraging words could have turned the course from them doing something to themselves. You don't know. But the Spirit does. Hebrews 10. Let's read through it. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Note the emphasis there in those passages, because we covered those before. Encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 26, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment, do you think, will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And look at how verse 31 just says that one thing. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Next passage. But recall the former days when you, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Make no mistake about it. What that passage is saying, either you have suffered affliction, you have suffered, or you know someone who has done so, or you know someone who knows someone who has suffered. That covers everybody in your sphere of influence. You know someone who has struggled. It may be you, it may be a friend, it may be a family member, it may be people that you've associated with. So you can't be blind to the fact that you know that you have an enemy who's out there who is trying to seek and kill and destroy. Verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. And so what you're finding out here in this passage, the church has a much greater role than just getting together. The church has a role of teaching, instructing, and building up and preparing you to be able to go out into the world and minister in the world. The church teaches people how to do that. You certainly understand that you can read Scripture and the Spirit teaches you in that way, but now you've got to put application to it. How do you actually go out and do it? The church 
by going through teaching, going through instruction, going through discipleship classes, going to Sunday school, you know, even sitting under the pastor and hearing select messages, you learn how to do all these things. Because a distinction has to be made between you who is strong in the faith and getting stronger and those who you know have the faith but have denied it, rejected it, decided they don't want to be in the fellowship. Sometimes the church is a great separator. Folks who don't want to learn about Jesus Christ will not stay in the midst. And it's better that they don't stay in the midst if they reject Christ. Why do you think that is? I'm sorry, all three of y'all wasn't saying something at the same time. That's pretty good. That's 100% correct. Everybody get that? Some people come to church for ulterior motives. Satan has put it in the place, in the hearts of some people, to get into a fellowship, not for the purpose of discipleship, not for the purpose of fellowship, but for the sole purpose of causing confusion and disruption. And that's a bottom line statement. But everyone here knows exactly what I'm talking about because you've seen it perhaps happen in a church or another church or some churches. We need to make the distinction that, no, we don't throw them out. We pray about those people and pray that, frankly, their hearts change. What do we just get through saying? Love of the Lord and developing the heart for God. If you are have a heart for God, you would not be a disruptor. You would not be a disruptor. If you really have a heart for God, you would not be causing difficulty. You would not be causing acrimony. You would not be causing fighting or bickering. You must have a heart for God. Now, I know that's a real strong statement, but it's absolutely true. Because when you get right down to it, it comes down to, do you love the Lord? If you really love the Lord, then you're supposed to be humbling yourself. If you're humbling yourself, you're not running your big mouth and talking about stuff all the time. Okay? Because a humble spirit does not cause dissension. So this passage is making a distinction for you to understand the importance of fellowship because we need to, first of all, Separate the wheat from the chaff when it comes right down to it, which is what, exactly what God does too. If someone's intentions are pure, they will stay with it and they'll be in the fellowship and they'll want to be taught. They will want to learn. They will want to fellowship with other people who have knowledge and understanding and all that and not make a bunch of excuses. It's much more about developing a heart for God and living in anticipation of his imminent return. Do you live with the knowledge that knowing that Jesus Christ is coming again? And very soon, by the definition of whatever soon means, but you don't know when he's coming. These guys who used to talk about, oh, Jesus Christ is returning back in 1984, whatever crazy prophecy that they would come up with. Yeah, that, yeah, right. Uh, the 1999, you know, it, <laughs> and 
it's really sad because a lot of, unfortunately, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. These are, these are things where, why would you put something out there like that if you know that the scripture very clearly says, no one, no man knows the day or the hour. So all you're doing is either you're puffing yourself up saying you're special because you have this insight into when this is going to really happen. And when it doesn't happen, you try to backpedal and pick another day or something like that. Well, I, maybe I misread the tea leaves. I don't know. But no one knows. That's right. Which is another great mystery. But you should be living in such a way where it doesn't matter when, you're just prepared for when it happens. You'd be ready for it. Many of us need to live like we're ready for something to happen. And prepare for it. The one thing we don't want to have happen is like, oh man, I was caught off guard. Well, why were you caught off guard? What does the scripture say? Be ready. Jesus himself said, I'm coming back. I am coming back one day. So live that way. Now, how do you live that way? Well, there is a big 99 million answers to that question. But a lot of it is just being in a situation like this, where you're fellowshipping, you're studying, you're learning, you're preparing, you're doing your own personal reading. One of the, you know, one of the things that you need to be able to do is be like a Berean. Acts 17.11. Go back and see what's being said is true. You do your own reading and study for yourself. That's what you should be doing. Yes. Sure. That's right. Okay. Okay. Yes. You have to invest your time into it. That's that's the commitment aspect of coming to church. That's the whole aspect. It's part of that commitment. It's a commitment to do so. And now you say you're weak on discipleship. Well. All of us have room for improvement when it comes to discipleship. Amen? So it's not, it's really something that has to be spirit-driven, and you have, to have, you have to make a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make an effort to do it, and just keep working at it. The gentleman who led me to Christ, many of you know Fred Jennings. Fred Jennings. Discipled me before I was even saved. Right. Discipleship takes place before salvation and after salvation, by the way. That's right. Very true. That's very true. What did you say, Mom? Discipleship takes place before a person gets saved and after a person gets saved. It's not just limited to one or the other. It's all of it because there still has to be just what you said. You still got to learn doctrine within the body of Christ, within the fellowship, within what the Bible says and how to act and how to behave. Those things are all learned you have to learn it. Okay. All right. The origin of the word companion 
This is back of the handout where J.R. is speaking again. Interest me. It is from the Latin companium, companionum, companionum, which consists of con, meaning with, and pan, meaning bread. A companion is someone with whom you break bread. Go back to Luke chapter 24. You might have learned something there. Did you know that? Luke 24. When I first saw that myself, I said, no kidding. It's literally having a companion as a person or someone that you would sit down and break bread with. And you don't break bread with everybody. You break bread with somebody who you have a, a genuine connection with. Luke 24, verses 28 through 30. So they drew near to the village which they were, to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn with us within us while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? Very interesting. I'm reading the wrong passage, by the way. I started at 20, and I should went down to 38. But let's just go down there, go to verse 38. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is I, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Okay? I'm, I'm reading the wrong stuff here. No, pardon me? I was in the right place before. I should have stopped at verse 30. No, that's okay, because I, I don't want to get off the track here. I'm fine. 28 to 30, I know. The point is, is that when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So as the disciples approached the village, this is going back to the lesson in Emmaus, the two disciples, what did they do? They, what did Jesus do? He sat down with them and broke bread with them. He spent time with them. He fellowshiped with them. Let me ask you a question. How often do you fellowship in smaller group settings with other people within the church? Well, some of us do a good amount of that. You know, a lot of us like to go to eat. You know, we, I don't, I don't. I don't like to brag about that because we have a, some of us have a, a love for the only thing better than fried chicken is more fried chicken type of a mentality. But we do more than just sit down and eat. We talk. We speak. Remember what the disciples were saying. He was teaching them the scriptures. He was speaking to them about God's word. There was a fellowship time that was not just a social time but a time of teaching and fellowship. That's the purpose of small groups. That's why large churches, very large churches, encourage getting into a cell group or a smaller group. You know why? Because they understand you will not learn anything if you just go to church week after week with 500 other people and sitting in the church somewhere, and then you leave and you'll never be seen again. Your learning is not going to take place in that setting. It won't happen because it's tried and true. They just know. You need to be in a smaller group 
And that smaller group has the opportunity to break bread and have discussion and conversation about Scripture. Parkside is an example that I know about only because my wife came from Parkside, and Parkside is this massive church where Alistair Begg teaches, but they incur, and they had how many elders? 20 elders. 20 elders. The 20 elders were there for the purpose of getting with a group, different groups of people and working with them for the purposes of fellowship and teaching. 20. It's a big church. It's, it's really large. It's, they have three services every Sunday. Three services every... And most, most of the larger churches have three services every Sunday. That's not unusual. But again, it's not about, I just went to a church where Alistair Begg teaches. It's about getting down and dirty and really wanting to learn about what Scripture says and having people in a smaller group setting get fellowship and get involved in learning and learning all the things about we just talked about, discipling other people, talking about having conversations with people, pairing up with people, having good discussion about what God's Word is. That's where the learning takes place. That's right. Yeah. Right. And it's not just about trying to keep you busy. It's a genuine effort to try to get you to get closer to a place where you can get into the Word with other people and actually learn something. You're not going to be discipled by anybody sitting in a room of 1,500 people. You're just not. It's not going to happen. You can't ask questions. You can't really have a conversation. You can talk to somebody who's sitting next to you if you know them. But that's not going to happen. It's not a natural, it's not an organic way of doing things. So, in many ways, I prefer a smaller church than a larger church, but that doesn't mean that the larger church doesn't have ways for people to get engaged with God's Word. Okay. Why do you think Jesus acted like he was going further? That's a good question. Why do you think Jesus acted like he was going further? Why do you think Jesus acted like he was going farther? That's what it says in passage in verse 28. What do you think? Remember, he was with these guys the entire time. He was walking down the road with them. He was just going to keep going. To see, to challenge them to see if they wanted to learn something more. Now, Jesus, with all wisdom, of course, knew that they were going to stop him and ask them, but he wanted to also see how interested were they in learning. He wanted to see, he wanted to encourage them to do what? Fellowship. It was a challenge to see where they fellowship. Okay, Jesus, go on. I'll see you later. You ain't going to see that guy again. It was a way for them to, to him to see where they going to encourage the fellowship time. Breaking bread together. That was a challenge. Where are they going to break the bread together? They want him to stay the day as far spent. 
Perhaps Jesus pretended he was going further so the disciples would have a chance to pursue a relationship with him. Perhaps it was simply good manners. A visitor would never invite himself into someone's home. We don't really know, but I wonder. Either way, I want to be the disciple who says, stay with us. Don't you? Don't you want to be the person who says, stay with us? You're out somewhere, you don't know where you are or whatever, but you know that there's a hotel nearby, perhaps we can stop there and uh, stay overnight and make the rest of the journey home. We had to do that a couple of times. We, we drove down to Durham, North Carolina, but we weren't going to drive the entire eight or nine hours or whatever it was to go, so we took, broke it up into two trips and wound up getting off at a hotel, and one in Princeton, New West Virginia, and the other one in Beckley, West Virginia. Yeah, that's like a halfway point, that's right. So we stopped off. But would you do that? That's my point. If the opportunity presents itself, would you do that? Now that's a choice you have to make, isn't it? Yes. Depends on your yes. And one of the things, whenever we have somebody over, I tell them, look, I'm Italian. If you come in my house to have dinner with me, you're part of my family from then on. Okay. And I remember a small group that we were in some years ago that I really, really cherished mm-hmm. because we could share our hearts no, that it stayed in that room. Okay, yeah. That's pretty important. We had confidence in each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it grew over time. Mm-hmm. But the fellowship wasn't just to comply with, hey, we should have fellowship. Right. It was because we wanted to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be available mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. We wanted to help each other. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to know where we could go to get help. Right. And Very good. And what, a, what a difference that made. I mean, I, and I still to this day cherish that one group that we were in. Now what, what Paul just said was monumental. The very purpose of fellowship is not just for saying, I have fellowship, almost in kind of a weird way about it. You're doing it because you're trying to get to know people. You're not going to fellowship with everyone, but you will be fellowshipping with someone who is either like-minded. Now, was everybody Italian that came into your house, or were there different groups of people? There were different groups. It had nothing to do with race. It has to do with your fellowshipping with people based upon being like-minded, having a desire to learn more about Jesus Christ. And, but the key words that you said there, too, a lot of people won't fellowship or won't take that time to do so because they're afraid of either sharing their personal business and thinking it's going to get out somewhere else, which is a huge issue for some of us, or... They can't trust enough to let go and have that fellowship time. So that's a huge step. I'm going to get you and I'll come over. Go ahead. One other reason people avoid groups like that is accountability. Yep. Because if you're in with a group like that, they're going to ask questions. If you tell them something, they're going to follow up and say, hey, how are you doing with this? And that's some, some people that, I don't want 
Why do you think Alcoholics Anonymous has meetings? Are the meetings just to get together for a social event? No. The meetings are to be accountable as far as your trip to sobriety. Okay? Um, come over here. I'm going to come back around to you. Go ahead. Okay. Now, this is not the same thing as whatever happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Let's start with that. This is a completely different conversation. Okay. 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 Good. Okay. That's good. That's right. It is. And it's, it's easy to find commonality, too. You might be surprised. How many of you have ever cared for aging parents? You have something in common. Automatically. Because you got experiences that some people don't know about when it comes to taking care of your parents. And you have a common bond right there, just in that. Okay, your turn. Oh, um, <laughs> I didn't forget about you, I just had to sort of work my way around. In order to go to a group, you you make a verbal commitment. Yep. Very true. The verbal commitment is is that what you say here stays here. Correct. What people discuss, Mm -hmm. and there's an accountability. Mm -hmm. But what what people don't get sometimes is that accountability means there's an investment there. Okay. There's a value there. Okay. You may not like someone there, but okay. you 
value what it is they share. Okay. It's not a gospel center. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like some of the bigger churches that have the, uh, and not just bigger churches, smaller churches as well, where you get somebody that breaks down and you know what, says, you know what, I'm going to take a risk. Yes. And then next week later, everything that they talked about is over social media, media, and in the church, mm-hmm. which is, or, or preached on. And people sit there and they said, well, you know, it, it's helpful. Okay, fine. If you really believe that, tell your deepest part of yourself. Put it out on social media, just like you say it is. Oh, I'm not doing that. Well, if it's not something you're going to do to, you know, yourself, then why would you do that to somebody else? At least have the courage to value them as much as yourself. And if you're not in it to help somebody, stop playing. Stop playing. Be for real. Be straight up and be honest. If you're here, care about the people that are here. Because there's people in here who care about you. But, and I'm just talking to the gospels. I'm just saying to the gospels. Um, some people's lips are a lot looser than others. I'll just say it that way. It used to be loose lips sink ship. Oh, that's the, that's the line from uh, one of the movies. Oh, dude, it was loose the lips sink ship. Well, yeah, that's what they say. In the military, it's what, they, what we used to if yeah. you don't need to know, yeah. don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, yes. Luke, Luke twenty four fifteen. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Is that the verse? Yeah. Well, they were talking amongst themselves, right? Well, yeah. Themselves, yep. But they weren't talking to Jesus. No. Jesus was not involved. He just walked up. So who initiated? Jesus himself. Jesus went to them. Right. Yes. You're right. They went to them. Right. And walking at the well, what happened? Okay. Jesus went to them. He went to them. What did that say to us? That's true. That's true. And besides that, some people say that people read my life. They need to hear what you have to say. Because if they don't hear what you have to say, how are they going to be instructed in anything you practice? Here's the thing. In the ideal situation, everyone who is fellowshipping has a heart for God. Amen? So we have to start with that. And the whole thing that Arella was talking about, about taking classes and reading and learning about other people, that's pretty important too. And learning about those personalities. And Brother Beecher is right. We can't have fellowship unless you take the initiative to want to have fellowship and reach out and talk to other people. So these are things that we're all learning, aren't we, in a church? We learn these things in the church. We learn the importance of these things in the church. And we have reasons why. In other words, we don't just do stuff for the sake of doing it. You do it because there's a reason for doing it. There's a good reason for doing it. There's a valid reason for doing it. And the primary reason why we're doing it is because Jesus teaches it in his word. 
in the way that he behaved, in the way that he acted, in the way that he fellowshiped and encouraged and engaged others. Yes, a lot of people were out there when they heard about him doing miracles and what he could do, but he still was active in reaching out and touching and dealing with certain individuals for the purpose of teaching others as well as that person. Don't make any mistake about that. When you've got a group of people around you, you have other people around you who are learning just as important a lesson as the person that Jesus was dealing with. And that's what we need to understand about why we do what we do here too. But we do, do need to be engaging and talking to other people. Yes. An office supply list? Mm-hmm. Okay. When, when the pastor was gone, we did have to take a look at that list and have somebody come in and see if they have it. Okay. And I, I was always on that list. I'm not anymore. Okay. Okay. Well, I think the point you're making too, Paul, is that if you're in a position of leadership in the church, it's really important for you to share the entire person that you are. And, you know, I don't expect everybody to do what I did, but a lot of people know my my past history of the church here and my present history of the church and all the stuff, the ups and downs that took place with all of that. And sometimes it's just a matter of sharing for the purposes of ministering to others. Because it's tough. You know, people have been through a lot of stuff. But they need to understand, though, that without Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be where I am today. So you have to come back to that and recognize that. Without Jesus, I wouldn't be here. So people need to see vulnerability. And of course it's a risk that you take. But, you know, hey, look, it's public record stuff is public record stuff, right? It's a risk that you take, but ultimately people need to see vulnerability 
and humility in the midst of that for the sole purposes of teaching and instructing and encouraging other people because they've been through stuff too. And they need to hear other people come out on the other side. Let me, I'm going to get Debbie. She had her hand up real quick. Yeah. Yeah. It's another way of finding commonality in a group of people. How is easy is it for you to minister or disciple with someone who is just fake, fake, fake? It's not possible. You're going to come to a place where you're not going to be compatible. Go ahead. You were. You were Okay. Because, in fact, the first speaker was God himself. Yes. Man wasn't speaking God. God was speaking man. Even yep. after man sinned. Amen. And so, I think that's telling us from the very beginning what I do is awesome. And that is to speak the truth. Okay. Go to them and don't wait until they come to us. Amen. So that's a great place to stop because we, we have to, number one. <laughs> And number two, it's a reminder. What you're, you said the word value. This is valuable. This discussion is valuable. It has a value. It should reinforce you. It should encourage you that what you're doing is good stuff. It's stuff that Jesus would highly endorse. And he wants you to keep going further with that as well, too. We're like-minded in that we have a love for Jesus Christ, but we have other ways we can continue to grow and develop in this fellowship that we're doing. We're not just fellowshipping for the sake of just getting together. There's a reason and a purpose for it. So let's keep that in mind. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you for this time that you've given us to get together once again and have a good conversation about this fellowship time. And Lord, Jesus teaches us a great deal in this lesson about Emmaus and the disciples. And how he reached out to them and how he taught them and how he gave them instruction and gave them a reminders through scripture. And Lord, he did not have to reveal himself until the end. And the point is, is that the teaching took place anyway. The words spoken were encouraging words. The words caused the hearts of those men to burn with desire to learn more about him. And we thank you for that lesson as well, too. May our hearts continue to burn for Jesus Christ. To have a desire to learn more and more about him. To help others as they may struggle with this very issue. To remain prayerful. To remain humble. Seeking after you as we seek after them. We pray now for the upcoming message and the speaker. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We'll see you next time. We will finish up this lesson next week and go into a new lesson next week. I know, we got about this far down the page.